The year is 1979. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, not in studio. I've got him on the line. He's the only individual that I know who threatens people by telling them mm-hmm. he'll put mm-hmm. their wieners in a cast. <laughs> it's Zach Dean. How's it going, <laughs> <What>? Zach? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a line that I missed in this week's reading? Yeah, Marvel premiere. <laughs> We're going to talk oh no, about it. no, I can't it. believe I missed that. That's, That's right. This is My Marvelous Year, where we get the best lines and the best comics. We're going through all of Marvel Comics history. Today, we're talking about more comics released in 1979 as we go year by year from Origins to today. And this is 1979 Part 2. As always, if you missed previous part we got reading lists in the show notes and over on our uh where our support comes from patreon.com slash my marvelous year today zach we're talking Mm. about marvel two and one a Mm -hmm. big project pegasus saga we're talking marvel premiere the debut of the ant-man of the marvel cinematic universe scott lang as well Uh as a little black panther in there iron man demon in a bottle welcome back to the my marvelous year club tony stark one of the biggest welcome to the first time like for real Iron Man, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah in a lot of ways, right? It, yeah, Avengers, a big story, and uh, yeah, it maybe yeah. one of the maybe the funniest moment of anything we've read in the seventies, whether it intends to be or not. Yeah, in the Avengers. Right. Yes, and amazing. and finally, we got some Fantastic Four that we'll talk about. So, Zach, how do you I feel start? about this batch? Big picture, big picture, uh, kind of a mixed bag. I think nineteen seventy nine part one had tons of stuff that had me hopeful for the future. Mm-hmm. Some of this was back in the like. Oh, this is messy, and they haven't figured it out, Arena. Interesting. I actually um, had a lot of fun reading this batch of comics, especially Iron Man, in two, a way yes, that I didn't yes. expect to. Um, I think we'll agree big on Iron Man. To be fair, yeah. to be totally fair, so I forgot we were recording today. This isn't our usual recording day. Mm-hmm. And so I ran home early from work, and I sat and I read all, what is this, 25 issues of this. It's a lot. In, yeah. in a block. So... It might taint a little bit of my reading, although I did read Iron Man last, and that is what I enjoyed the most. Like, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. anyway, um, I have a question for you. After reading Marvel two and one, how hungry are you for Project Pegasus to enter the MCU? I mean, <laughs> everyone's dying to find out more about Project Pegasus, the most interesting organization in the Marvel comic universe. You know, so you jest, but it no, is a part. No, it, no, people love. Project Pegasus. The, well, the it's totally a part who's... of uh, of Captain Marvel. I mean, you realize that, right? <sighs> this is a part of no. Brie Larson Captain Marvel movie, Project Pegasus. Oh, that whole like underground filing cabinets that she goes to. Yeah, yeah. Th- no, it's just a building full of filing cabinets. I mean, honestly, <laughs> like that's all they do. I think. Yeah, yeah. You'd be hard pressed at, at the end of reading these issues to say what Project Pegasus does or why it's worth defending. <laughs> so let's let's get yeah. right into it then. Um, I guess because I know a little of what it does. I, I think we can define a little bit about what it does, but probably not uh, a whole heck of a lot. Marvel two and one 
has been and, and will continue to be a Ben Grimm, the thing teaming up with another hero, another villain type comic, right? That's kind yes. of the hook. It's two characters, one magazine. And Ben Grimm is usually the, the mainstay. He's mm. a really nice fit for this because in this saga, which spans, uh, you know, what is it, six issues, written mm-hmm. by Mark Grunwald and Ralph Macchio with art by John Byrne and Joe Sinat Inks. John Byrne, everywhere in this part two. John Absolutely Byrne is the first, everywhere. Just a quick correction. John Byrne is the first half of these issues. The second Ooh. half is George Perez. And that's where I think it starts to sing a little bit, at least. What a, what a tag team if you're going to do yeah. a saga going from Byrne yeah. to Perez. Yeah, that's pretty nice in, uh, in the latter half of 79. But so Pegasus, Project Pegasus, Ben Grimm is going to visit this, this government installation. They're doing all sorts of scientific research, apparently. And when he gets there, uh, there's, there's a lot that goes on here. But big picture stuff, he meets Quasar, Kazar. <laughs> how do you how do you say this word? Kazar. Oh, I don't think right? it's Quasar. Quasar. Okay, here, here's because he can't be Kazar because that's the right, jungle yeah. savage. Something land weird guy. about Marvel in names that end in AR, especially uh-huh. this year, because we have Wondar, Quasar, yeah, Solar, Xandar. Uh huh. Um, I feel like there's one more I'm missing. The Shi'ar. Oh, the Shi'ar, Kazar, Aquarius. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, what what is the uh what does Wondar evolve into? Aquarius, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You are jumping ahead. A lot of ARs. Yeah, sorry. A lot of ARs yeah, yeah. for sure. I, yeah. They all kind of and, and they're all just like beautiful hunks with long flowing hair. Right, right. Every yeah. time I see one, I'm like, She are you going to the dance and wanna go with me? Just bunch of, a bunch of damn hulk hulks. <laughs> bunch of damn hunks. <laughs> Bunch of damn hulks. That's a problem that'll come later. We're not there yet. Um, Ooh, so that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. So wait, Wendell wait, Vaughn. I just saw in Marvel Unlimited a series called call him. Hulkverine. That yeah, I, that that's real. I made it made me go like, ugh, really? Well, maybe though. See, maybe. it's that that is the correct response, and it's written by Greg Pak, who's a writer that uh, I like. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually got a little bit of like, ah, uh, this actually isn't that bad. But anyway. That's yeah, not sorry. the point. Hulk Vereen's not here <laughs> in Project Pegasus. Wendell Vaughn Quasar, as I guess we're going to call him, is here. He's um he's actually been bouncing around Marvel for a minute now. He's kind of been building yeah. up. And they give a, a background on his origin, which really all builds up to say that he's got these really powerful bracelets that he wears. Yep. Um, they they give him kind remove. of cosmic energy powers, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so Quasar is going to be around. So, like, he's a relevant introduction. Wendell Vaughn is here. He kind of gets to establish himself as an individual a little bit as part of, um, you know, the security team guarding Project Pegasus. Now, what's going on at Project Pegasus? They've got scientists working on some sort of very mysterious thing, but also they're a prison because they've a got a lot of people like locked up. Psych ward. So some of the people, like, you know, it's like a prison for superpowered individuals. Some of them are there to get treatment, and some are there for containment, right? Yeah. Like, Wondar doesn't seem to be there against his will. He's there to get treatment from a psychiatrist. So Wondar is, is I think, the primary reason Ben Grimm is called in specifically, because mm-hmm. he actually has uh, some, some mild uh, connection to Ben Grimm. Now, we took this out of the, the MMY list, the reading list, but Wondar actually appeared back in the uh steve gerber written i think man thing uh maybe it was maybe it was just called adventures into fear but he's like yeah he's like a superman 
he's not like it. He's a Superman parody where the only difference is the child is sent from Krypton to Earth. He's not called Krypton here. Um, but it it progresses into a Superman body, but never develops its intellect beyond that of a child. So it's a child's yeah. mind in a in a Superman body. And he call like his he thinks of Ben Grimm as like his uncle. And mm-hmm. when Ben finds him in Project Pegasus, Wondar is like uh, <laughs> He actually talks about Ben Grimm. He says, like, just so you know, Uncle Ben, I love you as deeply as any one man can love another man, which is a very funny way to talk about your uncle. (laughs) You know, (laughs) when I think of, like, platonic male-male love, the the uncle-nephew relationship is not the first one that comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, to say it as as deeply as as possible. Uh, That is a a special (laughs) thing indeed. But anyway, Wondar's one of the prisoners there uh, that they're treating. I guess he's not a prisoner. They're trying to figure out kind of why he has reverted into himself. All of which, really, the whole thing is just like, it's a showcase for Ben Grimm and whoever's going to show up to just fight like a new bad guy or a new... There's a scientist working against Project Pegasus's goals. His first move is to infiltrate the facility, letting Deathlock in. Deathlock the Terminator makes an appearance. Here, his human half has been separated entirely from his machine half so he's like yep. all kill all the time and he makes ben grim bleed like yeah. red blood which is yeah. weird because i didn't i never think of ben grim as having like soft insides you know no i think he's all rock right like his organs are soft i guess still i don't even think of him as having organs i kind of just think he's all rock you know all rock just through and through no yeah. beating heart all no, rock. Yeah, just right? all rock. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, that. I guess we're going to have to do an anatomy clearly, lesson. But, like, it feels right, you know? I mean, it feels weird to think about. No, go with your gut on anatomy, right? Just I mean, like... he doesn't have a... Uh, that's the point. Thing doesn't have a gut. That's weird. Like, he's got a small intestine in there. You think like just a, a small batch of orange rocks? Well, then it just takes us down a whole long road of, like, bathroom things. Yeah, sure. In the thing. Which has been confirmed. I mean, he is rocky everywhere. I believe that's a Kevin's. If that's not in a Kevin Smith movie, I don't know why he even made them. I like. <laughs> I was trying to talk about like defecating, but you went straight to genitals uh, when I said bathroom things, which I feel like says something about you, Dave. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you going straight to poop says something about you. Well, yes, it does, but these are two <laughs> different things. <laughs> Everything we say here says something about us. Uh, they aren't. They are not that different. All right, my marvelous year club new poll. When, da- when Zach says bathroom Does stuff, the thing, what is the first a thing? Does the thing My marvelous year poll. <laughs> All right. Glad we got our poll for this year. Yeah. All right. This is six issues in Project Pegasus, which is a nondescript underground base. And it is like issue after issue of a new villain attacking each issue. And we are like, the thing is, if Pro- Project Pegasus was something interesting that I cared about, yeah, this would probably be a good comic. Like, it seems yeah. like it's relatively well written. The art is pretty good especially when george perez gets here the thing is really fun it's just stocked full of like characters and plot motivations that like i have no reason to even understand why i should care about it like i don't know why i should care that there's this one guy who's sabotaging project pegasus and i'm like oh no don't i I guess (laughs) i think that i think that actually is a really good way of saying it, which is it's an extremely competently done saga, but uh-huh. I am almost never super invested. I like some of the characters. I like the thing here a lot. I like Quasar. I mean, the thing the thing is, fun. I like, like when Deathlock shows up. Even 
Yeah. Yeah, no, like, Deathlock's fun. I mean, there's also this thing, <laughs> like, for the first three issues, we just keep getting these cutaways to Thundara walking around New York oh, City. Oh, yeah. Becoming That's a actually professional pretty great. wrestler. I mean, yeah. it works kind of in its of itself, but you're like, why is this happening? Why am I looking at this right yeah. now? Yeah, yeah. It, it does out, kind like, of build to a, a reason, kind of. But not, but Cause only they, like... Because then they, her and her... Because so Thundara... <laughs> for those of you who don't know, is Ooh, she's Big Barda, right? She's DC's Big Barda, but mm-hmm. Marvel took the <laughs> took King Kirby's idea while he was like still coming back to work for them and just said, hey, we're going to do that, but we're going to call her Thundara. She's from the planet Femizonia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so God. try to guess what that might be like. Um, and yeah, yeah she's just like... Just take a stab in the dark what gender she is, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from Femizonia, and she's walking through New York City, and she sees a mugging. She sees this really tiny African-American man about to be mugged, and she steps in and saves him, and then that man immediately turns to her and says, I gotta put you res- in wrestling. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, yeah, I gotta agent. be your promoter. Um, So he gets Thundara into wrestling, and, and she goes, and it, anyway, there's like a whole subplot about her getting caught up in like, you know, a gambling ring that this guy's trying to do, make money off her wrestling, this and that. Um, and all that builds to eventually her and the Femazones, I guess. Uh, no, no, it's her and the other Project professional Pegasus. wrestlers. That she oh, it's just the other defeated. wrestlers who they yeah. make look exactly like the female Furies. So not yeah, only is she yeah. a big bar to rip off, but then all the female wrestlers look exactly like the female like Furies. These wrestlers are not just wrestlers. They're secret agents, and they're all enlisted to like break into the Project Pegasus, and they were kind of fooled into doing it, so you get an issue of them fighting, which is kind of fun because... Thundara loves Ben Grimm. I love how much she loves Ben. That that tickles me. Yeah, it's a fun crush. Uh, And crush is what she does with her thighs to Ben Grimm. Kaboom. I mean, this is is like definitely the start of a lot of... Have you ever seen those videos? You can find a lot of videos of just like women crushing crushing? watermelons with their... I, I had a coworker who was like half jokingly into this but like right. you could tell like it wasn't a little... he's, if he's bringing it up enough it's like you're you're not just joking right like... and like <laughs> was a little a little well versed and like yeah could, could find those youtube videos a little quick but like there's it's a on youtube of, well i mean because it's there's nothing. sounds like it'd be on the the dark web no you know there's nothing I mean? dirty about this it's just a woman crushing a watermelon with her thighs just your regular <laughs> old watermelon being crushed no i did not know about this but thundara would definitely be tricked into into filming some of those i think yeah um it, after this story yeah it's a it's a weird if fun subplot and i think long story short to your point this doesn't build to anything exciting it doesn't build anything super relevant it's just really competently done <laughs> like everything about it is just it seems like it should be more meaningful um mm-hmm. and it's kind of just not you know it's not like we're like yeah. we're gonna come back to characters here uh and project pegasus has kind of got a legacy Obviously, like we talked about right up front, like Captain Marvel MCU is going to reference that, and and it's got some. I think the big thing is Quasar coming out of this, but you know, is it because I couldn't uh, tell? I, did, because, I don't like reading these. I couldn't tell. It was like, oh, this seems like a tour of a bunch of side characters we haven't seen before that maybe uh-huh. don't matter. Hang yeah. on, Zach just sent me a straight up porn vid <laughs> on YouTube <laughs> of, of watermelon, watermelon with legs. Look at those yeah. thighs, though. I mean, it's only a crush a watermelon. Seconds. Obviously, yeah. you'd have to have massive thighs. I feel like I could. I I might have to try this and send it to the Slack <laughs> channel. <laughs> oh, please, please film it and put it on YouTube. <laughs> um, I've gone into yeah, this idea now. Yeah, Quasar. I don't. I guess apparently he comes back. Uh, Wondar, who like evolves into Aquarius here, 
Mm-hmm. I don't really know if he's going to be a big deal. He doesn't seem that interesting, but it also kind of seems like they think he's a big deal. And then the villain is the like the nth man, yeah. right? And he's just like energy sucking. Uh, his design's very cool. Yeah, like, he's right. just an absence of space. He's like a black outline and a white nothingness. Oh, Black Goliath is here the whole time. Oh my gosh, how um, do we forget? That's embarrassing. Yeah, Bill yeah so that's here. that's actually the like, thing this does well. Go ahead, go ahead. It, no, you're right. Yeah, it just gives us a little showcase of like. Yeah, who who have we not noticed in the series we've been reading? Because it it is a nice little tour through a bunch of like secondary characters. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean it it reads fine. It's just you kind of have that feeling of like, why is why is this six issues long? <laughs> like, yeah, what is why is this? Uh, what are we building towards? Yeah, so it drags a bit. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, you know, beat it to death Belabor any it. any longer. Just like the the series did. So, with that said, I think it's interesting. You're going to get something out of it. Uh, yes, the introductions of Quasar and Bill Foster, Black Goliath, are quite nice. You also get a lot of like catch up exposition here. Frankly, for comics we haven't read, so there's a bit mm-hmm. of like you know Marvel encyclopedia work going on that is somewhat effective. Sure. Otherwise, let's move to Marvel Premiere number 47 and number 48 first. This is the debut of Scott Lang, the yes. all new astonishing ant-man this comic book is written by david michelini who we're going to see a whole bunch as we also see john byrne on pencils and bob layton on inks lots of names uh repeating here across these issues which was not super intentional necessarily but it is interesting to me that like we're seeing new names we're seeing new talent and in this instance we're seeing a new character take on the mantle of ant-man i think these two issues do a pretty good job of establishing scott as the new ant-man they give yep. him a little, a, a lot more of a backstory than we really ever got with Hank Pym. Like um, up to this point that we still have with Hank Pym. Like I would yeah. say Hank Pym is still pretty boring. Yeah. And, like well, the, the most thing interesting like, thing that happened with Hank why? is the crazy European politics slash assassination plot he got caught up in with that his happened before fiance. he became Ant-Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. that's still the most interesting thing that ever happened with Hank Pym. Well, I mean, and it's like a like, very minor part of it. Why story. do we need a new Ant-Man right now? Because Hank Pym is nothing and no one likes him. <laughs> you know, like Yeah, yeah. You kind and they of kinda really, talk like, about why? like he's going as yellow jacket, but that's not the real reason. And it's like know? what what does yellow jacket do? Like it's Ant-Man just stripped, but, like, the interesting stuff stripped away from it, right? Like he. Mm, I'm a sucker gets... for a yellow and blue costume. Oh, I don't so like So I that feel costume. like there's I, I a like nice the... bright yellow and blue coming out of that. I like that silly red and blue one that Ant-Man wears. Yeah. That, that wacky helmet. I love that they stick with that with the MCU. It's fun. Oh, yeah. It's a good costume. So Marvel Premiere 47, it begins with Scott Lang is just getting out of prison. He was arrested for thieving. That's what he does. He's got a young daughter, Cassie Lang. And an ex-wife and her boyfriend. So they all give him a ride on home. And then Scott uh, pretty quickly finds work with Stark International. He's on the straight and narrow now. He gets a job with Stark Enterprises. He's got, uh, I believe, what, how do they specify his skill set? Is it engineering? Um, kind of yeah, mechanical? It, like abilities? engineering security systems is specifically like he's, you mm-hmm. know, which is, you know, they're kind of winking at because he's a master cat burglar. He had to know, right. understand security systems really well. But he also understands them on en- engineering level. Yeah, so while he's while he's gone the straight and narrow, his daughter Cassie comes down with a very serious heart ailment, and her, the medical bills begin piling up. Weak. Yeah, yeah, Which she's got a weak. I was aorta. thinking this whole time, why? 
out of all the things that they take from this and put in the MCU, why couldn't they have given that little girl a heart problem so that she would be too sick to speak in the movie, like too weak to actually talk? Because <laughs> this she is, is the nastiest thing you've ever said. <laughs> I, hate the, I hate that little girl. Oh the, my uh, goodness. Your vendetta against the a tiny little cute girl? Oh, she's so what bad in this movie. like... That, that director is so bad at, like, directing the little kid, or she's just a bad actress, because it's just that whole, like... I have oh, zero, Daddy, I love zero agreement like, with this. Oh, I've never so, once watched... So I, neither time watching uh, Ant-Man or Ant-Man of the Wasp did I think, man, little girl's ruining this movie for me. Oh, she's, like, the worst part. I mean, I love in... Uh, I love that Endgame basically, like, does away with that actress, right? Like, we never have to see the little girl version of her again, which is great. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Did you also uh, find, take issue with Tony Stark's daughter in uh No, she, in was, she was totally fine. She was a good good actress. No, it really was like she felt like she was out of, you know, like a really cheesy ABC sitcom or something. It just so felt- did you watch did you watch Mad Men and you were like, listen, this show could be something, but that boy, that Don Draper's boy is so bad that no, I can't. No, because like you're this. supposed to think Bobby's a little irritating brat. I because uh-huh. I, I think the show has that Ant-Man makes you want, like, Ant-Man clearly is trying to get you to say, like, oh, yeah, yeah. like, the Scott-Cassie relationship is the, fe- like, it's the core of this character, right? Like, their their relationship is so cute and yeah charming, and it's like, ugh, no, it's really, uh, really right. hammy. I'm glad we're it. carving this lane of really yeah. holding the seven-year-old child actors to task well, okay. for poor I mean, t- that's why I said. No, this I mean, is I, good. I, this is going to get us noticed. I think Peyton Reed is not a good, I mean, let's get into it. Not a good Paul father? Said her first. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Rudd has never been less charming than in those two movies. Like, oh, I don't is, think that's that, fair. That man, that, maybe that's not true, but he has very rarely been less charming in those two movies. And Paul Rudd like oozes charisma, and I think like Ant Man and the Wasp is a very uh, charming I, movie. I like those movies just fine, but like mm-hmm. Paul Rudd directed by the Russo brothers versus Paul Rudd in his own movies is like pretty big difference. Yeah. I think it's, I think I can't, it's I can't fight that, you on that. that director... Those are definitely better movies. Or I, I certainly enjoy them more. No, I don't, not like the overall movies. I think his performance and I think just like Peyton Reed doesn't yeah. know how to, yeah, how to work with him in the right way. Well, it, anyway, there is also something to be said for five minutes of Scott Lang versus two hours. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I mean, that that the Russo brothers do such a good job of, like, pulling out what works with all those characters, right? Some of those m- characters never work better than in one of their movies. Well, and most importantly, they do a good job of pulling out all the child actors in those movies that were going to yes. ruin them. Yeah. I, oh God, why didn't we see Cassie get dusted? Like... Why not? Because <laughs> Cassie is a cute little girl, and she's well, no, a great character. Well, no, because it would give us, like, you know, we'd have that heart-wrenching montage at the end of Infinity War. But, you know sprinkle in a little lightness and like a feel-good moment right in the middle of it yeah i mean i i i like did I'm crying over spider-man like hawkeye's and kids aren't over enough. Cassie. Yeah, yeah yeah right it was like hawkeye's kids mm, need some more kids dusted this yes. movie is lacking yes, please yeah oh my goodness <laughs> this is this is my monstrous year we've transformed into <laughs> that's, that's pretty good <laughs> okay. I like, I like that. marvel right. premiere 47 continues yeah. with cassie's weak heart Scott is thinking about stealing again, and uh, when he finally does break into some facility, and I forget the exact reasons he goes there, he uncovers an Ant-Man costume. He finds out he's broken into a a technology company that is owned by Hank Pym, and he discovers an old Ant-Man costume. He steals it, and he uses that to break into a cross-technologies facility to get the medical stuff to help him. No, it's... 
there's a doctor who would like specialize in this surgery and he finds out that she's being held hostage at this place. He breaks in and then finds out that she's being held hostage by this enormous pink man. Yo, that is a last page tease. It's it's pretty good. Uh th- oh, this is something. Um yeah, it is a good last page tease cuz that guy's design is really good. That guy for the record what? is Darren Cross, who's played by the bald guy from House of Cards in the Ant-Man movie. And they the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Peyton Reed, Scott uh Paul Rudd, whoever you want to hold accountable, cowards for not making him look like this giant pink man in Marvel Premiere 47. Like he's like he's a man who's about to have a heart attack. Well, I mean, I, oh, ironically I, I, enough. <laughs> if you see someone looking like D- Darren, Darren Cross. Reed, Darren Cross, yeah. yeah. Okay, God, we are tangential today. Uh, so They fight. This, yeah, oh well, yeah, it's a big fight. This guy is like he needs a heart transplant. He's gonna try to steal Scott Lang's heart. I do love the the thing about like he he got a pacemaker put in when he found out he had a heart problem, and the reason <laughs> yeah. he's so big is that the pacemaker worked too well. Yeah, it worked too <laughs> his hard. Heart pumped so good that his body just started growing. In everything started expanding. Blood. Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta watch out with your pacemaker if it's going a little too hot. You might yeah, I mean, it's a such a problem in the bodybuilding community. There's, you know, a black market pacemakers. Right, illegal paces. They overclock yeah. your pacemaker, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah, it's a huge problem in bodybuilding. It is, yeah, which is, I think we've made clear uh, through the watermelon crushing videos we've been talking about, the sport we follow most closely here <laughs> 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 that marvelous year. Um, so, yeah, they fight for a good long while. Eventually, as they're fighting, Scott, uh, the, Darren Cross drops dead. And Scott says, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, oh my gosh, doesn't what, what happened? Well, you'll never guess. He had a heart attack, <laughs> which is the problem he's been fighting this entire time. Um, actually, the doctor sort of set him up to have this heart attack because Darren Cross was, so he's super wealthy. He's this technology, whatever, company owner. And he um, he was collecting uh, homeless individuals and stockpiling them for heart transplants. So mm-hmm. pretty gross and <laughs> pretty uh, pretty yep. nasty uh, scheme he had there. And the doctor was finally just like, I've had enough. And and Darren Cross seemingly has a heart attack and dies. Scott gets the doctor. The doctor comes back, and she's able to help Cassie. And Does we have a new Ant-Man back? and a healthy young girl, which is what we want, some of us here. Oh, it's what I want in the comic. I like Cassie just fine in the comic. Um, does this guy come back, Darren Cross? You know, honestly, I have no idea. Wait, so these two I, issues were enough that that guy got a, a cameo in the Ant-Man movie? Not a cameo. He's the main villain in the in the first Ant-Man. So that's why I'm that's why Wait, I'm hesitant guy, to say he doesn't. Oh, come back. the bald guy from House of Cards. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't I didn't put that together. Oh, that's the same guy. Yeah, that's Darren Cross. Weird. I didn't know that. It's been I know. A while since I've seen that movie. I one just, thing, oh. uh, one thing I realized reading the My Marvelous Year list again is the MCU and Marvel Netflix are more reverent towards uh, late seventies Marvel comics <laughs> than than it would appear at first glance. Like to mm. stuff that is yeah. not super important, you know. Like yep. it's it's yeah, yeah. Easter eggs taken. Like, oh yeah, that guy's going to be our main villain actually, because technically those are the first two. Ant-Man issues with Scott Lang. So, welcome to the My Marvelous Year universe, Scott Lang. It's a pleasure to have you. And we're actually going to see him pop up in uh, the likes of Iron Man and Avengers here as well. You know what I like about this issue? Is Scott Lang is a reformed criminal, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is something that we don't see a lot of. We see a lot of our heroes beating up on street criminals. Right. And then kind of getting those, like, feel-good moments that they get arrested and sent to the cops. But we don't get much, like people turning their lives around we get a lot of villains becoming avengers 
you know, like they start as supervillains and become like Avengers, but it's not people, grounded right? in actual yeah, super vi- imprisonment. <laughs> yeah, supervillains get more of a second chance in the Marvel universe than you know, like poor who steal out of necessity, right? You know, people driven right. to bad circumstances. <laughs> I feel like oftentimes Marvel Comics is not very sympathetic to street level crime because it's always framed in like these are just vicious animals, right? I mean, certainly and- if you if you sold drugs at this point in Marvel, then Marvel's yes. like good. You should be jailed. If you shot or arrows at the should... public, <laughs> you can be an adventurer. <laughs> yeah. Sure, right. Yeah. If you if you're a, a drug pusher, like you deserve to get Captain America's shield bounced off your uh, If you were Adam's in a group apple. called Brotherhood of Evil and it ended with <laughs> uh drug pushers, you go to jail. If it ends with mutants, you can be Avengers. Sure, right. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. I think uh what's his name? Mich- David Michelini? Yeah. Good politics on this guy. Ooh, likes his politics. politics. Wow. Yeah, I like some of the stuff he's bringing up in Iron Man too. We'll talk about it, but uh, he's got some he's got some interesting stuff to say. I think Michelini's a really good writer, um, yeah. in general, and I think his stuff this year definitely highlights like what he's what he's able to bring to the table for yep. Marvel. So let's let's get into before we get to some of more of his writing. We're going to talk about Marvel premiere number fifty one to number fifty three. This is an mm-hmm. addition to the club. This go-round, because of the fact that we liked Rage of the Panther so much, uh, I had to include a little follow-up here on the Black Panther saga in a story called Death Quest, which is a straight-up follow-up to Jungle Action. Zach, obviously, you were taken with Rage of the Panther uh, as much, if not more so, than I was. What did you think of Death Quest? Wait, I liked Rage of the Panther more than you did? I said as much, if not more so. Oh, oh, okay. So it's a possibility. I I only hear like every other thing you say. Um, it's very selective. Well, I'm just watching a lot of these watermelon videos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, I this, I don't know. I don't know if like this was just an attention span issue. I had a really hard time like following this. Yeah, I feel like this is not successful in trying no. to wrap up that story. I think it's a, it's kind of a mess. I think it's all over the place. It's trying like I. This feels like it should have been six issues. I never say that. I never say, like, these comics should be stretched out more. Mm. But I felt like this tried to pack so much into three issues, and it just was, like, it was really messy. Yeah. Like, very rarely, like, understood <laughs> what was happening or what the stakes were. Yeah, um, I, I think the biggest and, problem with it... So this is a story by Ed Hannigan, Jerry Bingham, and Gene Dan Inks. The biggest problem with Death Quest is it's trying to play... It's trying to play follow-up. It's trying to play continuity bingo with um, with Panther's Rage. And it's like, okay, that ago. story was cut short. And it's trying to say, actually, here's how we can make it make sense the way it ended. And to provide answers for everything that was left hanging. But right. honestly, like, it's not the same creative team. You know, it's not Don McGregor and, and Rich Buckler and, and Billy Graham and whoever else. And it just all feels so disconnected. From the original, yeah. like it's yeah. desperately trying to make sense of these thing that ended, and it, honestly, like even without answers to some of those final threads, Panther's Rage is so good. Black Panther vs. the KKK is so like, like just gut wrenching that yeah. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. need this sort of like. Actually, here's what happened. You know, I, I just don't uh, think it's necessary. I don't think it's a bad I, idea. I appreciate they tried. Yes, um, exactly. Really I work. was gonna say like I, I appreciate the effort of like, hey, Kirby came in and. uh completely mm. disregarded the good work that you know mcgregor and graham did to That's like thing. Yeah. turn black panther into his own interesting little universe and like let's try to pick up those pieces i just don't think they they could uh, quite follow through on it there's also this is the first time in jungle action 
or these Black Panther stories where I really got a bad taste in my mouth about the way they were talking about political stuff because mm. they really tried to do this. Like, So the, the setup is that like there's the Ku Klux Klan, which is the organization we all know and hate. Yeah. But there is also the Cult of the Dragon, <clears throat> which we saw a little of and I was confused by, which is yes. like yes. the opposite, equal but opposite of the Ku Klux Klan. They wear purple robe, robes instead of white and they are like progressive Klansmen, right? They are like fighting for equality and like civil rights things. Yeah. But they are framed as just being the mirror images, right? Like there's this whole thing like at one point, one of the leaders of the cult of the dragon finds himself on a like pre-civil war slave plantation. Yeah. And a bunch of slaves are there. And this guy is like, Oh, I'm, I'm not with them. The Ku Klux Klan. And the guy, one of the slaves is like, Oh yeah. But you know, I don't recognize you. You've got the same hate in your heart that they do. And it's like, but hate for race, races. I, like yeah. it's, it's doing that really gross both sides thing where it's like, it's just as yes. bad to be a racist as it is to hate racism you know like it's it's it doesn't it does not taste good it's a big bunch of confused both sidesism i think yeah, absolutely yeah. And, and black um, panther's on that side too where you know he's equally as angry as the cult i mean it turns out the cult of the blue dragon is the one who killed monica lynn's sister mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> and, and monica lynn right? yes i agree with what you're saying and it is monica lynn which black panther forgot too <laughs> so after their intense romance and and like sort of courtship throughout Rage of the Panther, this series begins with like, well, the only way we can make the last two years of Kirby Black Panther make sense is if T'Challa straight up doesn't remember her. Um, and and that is really weird as well. Like that bad just idea. feels. I mean, they it feels like a bad very story. contrived that they were like, oh, we need. Because he's not a like reason. in a coma. You know, it's not like he wakes up and is like, there's a reason for it. He just they like honestly could have just picked it up again and it would have been fine. You know, like and yeah, pretended that that interim didn't exist. Yeah, and not, my totally fine. not my fave. Not my fave. I'm yeah, glad we read bummer. it. I was curious to see like yeah. what they would do, but there's a reason this doesn't get talked about nearly as much as. So does Black as Panther get a good comic until Christopher Priest? Like, uh, there's something? an '80s miniseries for sure that I know some people like. Uh, we'll have to see if that gets added to the MMY list. But I mean, in general, I don't think he has like a like. He definitely doesn't have anything as long as Panther's Rage, to my knowledge, until. Until he ca- is that right? I I gotta look at it because that seems crazy. But that's how I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, give me just a second, and I will yeah. look this up because I want to see what volume two looks like. I think it's just like four issues. Yeah, volume two. Yep, volume two is the four issue miniseries in eighty eight, like eighty eight, and then there's a little bit in Marvel Comics Presents, starting in eighty nine for a while, and then nothing till nineteen ninety eight with Christopher Priest. So yeah. Yeah, we're in it for a long dry run uh, before Black Panther gets interesting again. So, goodbye, T'Challa. We barely knew thee. Yeah. All right. Let's do a quick interlude mm. before we get into our final uh, stories. Hey, Dave. Yes, sir. As we all know, our Patreon patrons on Patreon fund our lavish lifestyle. Yes. And what this week did you buy with our patrons' generous donations? Yes, thank you to everyone on patreon.com slash year for funding our lavish lifestyles this week. I, let's see, what did I get? I did not do any of the Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday shopping that you were describing uh-huh. earlier, Zach. Too many I comics. did, I honestly, oh, 
well, no, I used this last time. Um, why don't you go first? I don't think I bought uh, anything. I mean, I got a bunch of comics. I mentioned before. I bought after reading two issues of the Frank Miller Daredevil. I bought that omnibus that has the entire run of Frank Miller Daredevil. I'm that uh-huh. like immediately sold on it. Um, and I got the Absolute Swamp Thing, which, if nothing else, the when you take it out of its slipcover, the cover of it, it feels mossy. They cover it in this really fine felt, and it actually feels like moss, which is. That sounds cool awesome. Side. Now, true or false, when you took the slipcover out, uh, a bunch of leaves, like old crunchy leaves, fell on your feet. How cool Is that would right? That be? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, but no, the big thing I got for Black Friday, which is this is uh, closing the loop on something I mentioned before, I actually got a record player so I can finally play all those records that I have Wow, sat very for nice. Like a couple of years now. So, yeah, it's very nice. I got to play that disaster piece record last night. It was excellent. Very cool. You know what? So thank, I did finally remember what I got. Uh, I, I renewed my subscription to Marvel Unlimited. Ooh, so this will be uh, nigh on a decade of MU subscriptions. Claim that as a business expense. I'm positive that I did and will. Uh, well, I guess it's a little easier for you, too, <laughs> since you yeah. own Comic Book Herald. I think it's going to be harder for me. we got to talk about taxes. My Do we? You're paying tax. Well, because <laughs> we? if you speak it pay- aloud, now we have to. But if you just continue Patreon to money pretend they don't funnels exist. through me. And it is taxable income, mm-hmm. so we need to find out a way for you to. You have to sounds pay like, share taxes. Sounds like you got some taxes to pay. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> thank right. you Thanks, very patrons. much to all our patrons. This last, well, not this last week, but two days. No, yesterday. Uh, when we're recording yesterday, the first episode of My Ultimate Year came out, which is exclusive to five dollar patrons. Yeah. I think it was very fun to record. It is recorded in person, so the sound quality is not quite our norm but yeah who knew actually recording in person was uh was slightly more challenging sound wise it seems like it'd be much easier yeah yeah um but i think it's a pretty good episode had a lot of fun recording it's pretty lengthy and uh, a really good jump into modern marvel comics um already had some good feedback about it so uh and then also on patreon you get our weekly updates uh access to our master spreadsheet for my ultimate year and my marvelous year and you get the warm fuzzy feeling in your stomach that comes with buying me comic in the stomach now typically i think of warm fuzzies being like kind of near your heart maybe mm-hmm. but this one's actually it's right in your gut and uh yep. i gotta tell you it's gonna linger it's gonna be a little nauseating for a minute but eventually <laughs> it'll, ev- it'll eventually you'll taste it in it. the back of your throat yeah 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 a little yeah, bit. Well, thank thank you thank you very much everyone oh actually you know what forget it don't give us any money on patreon what I really want is spread the word about the show. I would mm. actually prefer that over Patreon sure. money at this moment. We're really trying to uh, expand outward, and really the only way we do that is word of mouth. I think 1979 Part 1 is an excellent place to start. We've been talking about maybe starting at 1980 uh, as like kind of a new recommendation to jump in. I think 79 mm. Part 1 is pretty good, too. Like It's the start of a bunch of new stuff. We've got good Iron Man, Daredevil starts up there. Uh, yeah. What else? The X Men starts to get excellent, right? Like yeah, I would strongly Spider-Man agree. Story in there. I think seventy nine part one. So this is a great time to please start recommending the show to family and friends. Because also it's like it's a little easier to say, hey, jump in. The comics are pretty good now overall. Instead of like, hey, read uh, nineteen years of you know Silver Age comics that will feel like homework. Yep. Less and less like homework, and that is the goal. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to it. Iron yes. Man, issues number 125 to 128. Now, we do have to address up front, Iron Man, Demon in a Bottle, as the saga has become known, really runs from issue 118. 
to 128. I cut it short here because we already got a lot of comics to read, and I think yes. you get enough backstory here from these issues alone. Zach, you took issue with this, um, with these issues. Would you like to make your case for why more should be read? <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me get my box got here. Podium out. Stand up on and it. And he yep. is standing up. Let's. Oh, there's a new microphone on top of his other microphone. <laughs> That's different. All right. Please make Let your me. case. Is this thing on? Hello? <clears throat> I don't actually believe that. I think it's fine. Uh, that <laughs> it only goes to 124. Excuse me. Put this box away. Okay. And podium's put put away. All right. Uh, no. Uh, so 118 to 128. It's all worth reading. I read the whole thing. I think you'd be totally fine reading what we recommend. Except, except Dave, I think 124, the issue immediately before what you start, mm-hmm. is worth including. Mm-hmm. So I'd say if you like want... The full experience, 118 to 128 is good reading, good Iron Man reading. Mm-hmm. But if you want the kind of truncated experience, 184 to 187, which is still only five issues. Um, I believe you mean Oh, no, no. I'm looking at the wrong thing entirely. I'm looking at... 124 Avengers. to 128 is what you're saying. Yes. Uh, yes yeah. So that, that issue will give you where we open in 125, which is yep. Iron Man just killed a guy on live TV. And uh, everybody was watching. And Iron Man is clearly shell-shocked, right, as we open. He is. He doesn't know how this happened. He believes his repulsor has been uh, manipulated by someone else. But, of course, everyone just saw him kill a man, and he's going to have a hard time explaining this. Or at least it would seem uh, he tells the Until police. Until the cops are just like, well, <laughs> you have a sad look in your eyes. You're free to go. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, and, and to be fair, I guess, yeah. it's a very complicated thing, but it is like he's an Avenger. And also, and also, if they say we're going to bring you in against your will, they're not going to win that fight. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Right. You got some of that going on. Yeah, if he doesn't want to come in, he's not coming in. Yeah. Yeah, right. But, you know, he didn't mean to kill someone, but someone was killed. So Iron yeah. Man is is kind of put on um, put on ice, if you will, because he is, the to rocks. the public's eye, put so on the speak. rocks. Exactly. Um, because, you know, he's he's like a murderer right now, at least until proven otherwise, which is so the quest me... Tony Stark seats out to to prove. Let me get jump in just a little bit with what happened before this, which is that Iron Man has kind of been going through a series of problems. One of his main concerns is that S.H.I.E.L.D. is quietly trying to take over Stark Industries because S.H.I.E.L.D. wants them to be producing munitions again, which yeah. he halted. So they are trying to attempt a hostile takeover. He's stressed about that. Which he is, is a really interesting Marvel Universe um, yes, plotline to throw in there. This idea so, of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. owning Stark Industries. Very, very interesting. Well, and we remember from was... from Strange Tales in the '60s that like Tony Stark is a really big player in early Strange Tales issues, helping them design a lot of what Shield is using. Yep, yep, yep. Um, early on here, Iron Man gets all mixed up with Rocks and Oil, which I think this is the first time we've seen that company. Yeah, fair amount of first kind year. of a big, big Marvel player. Also, Justin Hammer and in Hammer Industries comes in later, big player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. But Rocks and Oil, the story is that they are trying to... Roxanne, you don't have to wear the dress tonight. The dress. No spe- no specific color. <laughs> <laughs> Just the dress. <laughs> if you're a Rocks and Oil industry, you can wear whatever you want. You got money. They are trying to take over an island with a uh, a big core of vibranium. And it like a... a, 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 a uh, what's the, the word I'm looking for? A lot, of, a lot of vibranium ore in it. And they are using the military to take over this island and claim it, which is very interesting. 
like that the military, I mean, the military, <laughs> the American military carrying yeah. water for oil companies is something that was very relevant then and had been relevant for a while and is still incredibly relevant in American politics. And it is clearly framed as like an evil thing here. And another reason why I think Michelini's got pretty good politics. Yeah, Roxon too is a is really good at filling in this sort of evil corp role you know like they they are typically the brand that does that um everything's above board they've got weight to throw around with government and and with lobbyists um but they you know at the end of the day are doing lots of things that typically puts them on the wrong side of what our heroes (laughs) are campaigning for you know what i mean so roxon isn't like the main player here but there we're going to see a lot of them moving forward because they are a familiar institution in the marvel u the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I'm desperately trying to pull up the screen now because I didn't have it ready. Okay, the other thing is he teams up with Namor to take down Rocks and Oil, and we get an all-time great little monologue from Namor the Submariner at the end of one of these issues where they're talking about uh, the island. This island was destroyed. There's this like hermit who is living there who loves it. It's where him and his wife lived, and his wife had died there, and she's mm-hmm. buried there. Oh, and the island gets blown up so that no one else can have it. And there's an amazing scene where the ion explodes and they talk about it being perfectly silent because the vibranium absorbed all the sound, which is very cool. Yeah. Iron Man is talking about like, in the wrong hands, that island's deposits could have affected the commerce and balance of trade for entire countries. And Namor says, perhaps Avenger, but I cannot help wondering if those mighty nations you worry over in their insatiable pursuit of commerce and trade have not lost sight of prizes of even greater value. Those rare and wonderful treasures called dreams. Namor, you and it's, it's romantic. over an old man, over an old man crying, looking at looking out at the uh, the ocean. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah, <laughs> not what I think of when I think of Namor. Anyway, while this is happening, we keep having Iron Man's suit malfunction, and we see that there is somebody else who is manipulating Iron Man's suit from a distance, like causing. Uh, like what his light turns on in the middle he's sneaking around like spider-man like up on a wall and his uh chest plate turns on mm-hmm. one of his boots flight propeller repulsor things turns off mid-flight and then finally he kills that um ambassador guy yeah yep totally so that's where we pick up here all these things are conspiring against tony and as they continue to conspire against him or so he sees them uh he turns to the drink he turns to a whole lot of alcohol and the thing that impressed me the most about this chunk of demon in the bottle which i've read a handful of times now is uh, so this is david michelini writing like you mentioned we got john romita jr on pencils, and we got Bob Layton frequently on uh, inking and oftentimes plotting credits as well. Uh, yep. J.R. Jr., maybe we'll talk about a little here, but yes, he is the son of John Romita Sr., who we talked about, of course, so so admirably in the 60s, working on Amazing Spider-Man. But the thing they do so well is they build this alcoholism that Tony Stark is it battling. It out so casually. It's subtle. So, it's casual. Yeah, I it mean, really it is. It starts out as like, he's on his way to this island... And he's like, another martini, please. And she's like, oh, are you sure, sir? You've already had three. And he's like, it's fine. I've got a lot on my mind. Cut away. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't come up again. Maybe later he mentions something like, oh, man, like, I think I had one too many to drink. That was a uh, that was harder to deal with as Iron Man than I thought it would be because my mm-hmm. reflexes aren't quite what they should be. But it kind of just comes down to like, oh, he's unwinding and he obviously he didn't plan on his airplane blowing up and him needing to, you know, put on the suit. 
So like, yeah, they kind of keep doing that thing where it's like, oh yeah, he's just having a couple drinks. Maybe it's starting to interfere a little bit here, a little bit there. Mm -hmm. And he's just justifying it more and more. Uh, I mean, the other thing that this does really well, and I think David Michelini is excellent at, is pacing. I think that is yes. the big thing that he is really remarkable at is that he is letting these issues really breathe. They're not overstuffed at all. Like um, that moment I just mentioned where the island blows up and you get this vibranium, this really cool vibranium moment. Mm -hmm. I think that is cool because it is like the big event of that issue. And I feel like in so many other comics that we've read up to this point, that would be one of five enormous moments. Yeah. Right. And none of them would have any impact because it's just like big moment all the time it is dialed up to 11 through the whole comic and you never get that like you know it never slows down it never breathes you don't let the tension build and yeah etc and he does an excellent job of that like most of this comic is not superhero action and yeah, then when right. it happens you're interested because oh it's my friend iron man i haven't seen him all issue you know and like i think that's the thing that demon in the bottle does so well is it does put the focus on tony Right. It really yes. it really hones yeah. in on Tony Stark. What makes him tick? What is the, the problem that he's dealing with here? How is it? Uh, how is he treating those around him as a result? Right. Like so as he and he addresses this very specifically in issue 128. But like Tony keeps blaming his problems on Iron Man. Right. It's a very familiar, you know, oh, this hero is the problem. You know, if I didn't have to wear this darn thing and be the Avenger, I wouldn't have any of these issues. And then he takes out his anger on his girlfriend, Bethany Cable, uh, Bethany Cabe. He takes out his anger on Jarvis, the butler. Right and he's this is tony stark lashing out we also have as he's trying to prove that he's not a murderer he seeks the help of scott lang to break into Riker's island and get some information about they don't know who's behind this uh these individuals the name hammer keeps coming up so he's trying to figure out who is hammer because this is not mm -hmm. a character he has met to this point in time i think it one thing that this issue or these comics do really well is I always think of Demon in a Bottle as like, oh, this is the Tony Stark. You know, he it's revealed he's an alcoholic and fighting alcoholism story. But actually, that's like a sub thread. It's built up until issue 128, which is that iconic Tony staring, bearded Tony staring in a mirror with mm -hmm. the bottle of Jack in front of him, you know, sweating out the the addiction, essentially. Um it belt builds to that. It's and and there's moments that happen, of course. But actually, there's like really good Tony Stark Iron Man story in the interim. You yes. know, it's not yeah. just four issues here of him fighting alcoholism. It's four issues of him like doing Iron Man stories while that's happening. And mm -hmm. I think that makes a really big difference in how it actually plays out. So, a couple of things I want to note. One, Tony he's drinking all the time, right, or, or very frequently. And we get a scene where he comes into the office. He's hammered, clearly. His secretary's like, is that whiskey I smell on your breath? And she's, like, floored by how disheveled and, and drunk he looks. The next sequence we get is him going to Avengers Mansion and telling the Avengers, as Tony Stark, you know, here's what I'm planning to do for Iron Man, asking Captain America for a training lesson. Mm -hmm. And this is a pretty famous sequence where Cap, like, trains Tony how to fight. You know, yeah. it's kind of a big deal. Tony should still be relatively hammered here while he's fighting Cap and it, like uh -huh. somehow is pulling it off. So he's a very functional alcoholic in ways that I think are um, kind of I, I don't know what the word is here. They don't it's almost nuanced where they don't just make him like a slobbering, incoherent drunk, I guess. You know, he's an alcoholic, but he's also like living life and doing lots of things. If that makes sense. I, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree. I kind of feel that was more just like shifting scenes because I, I never really got it sold that he was like drunk talking to Captain America. Well, it's also it that like he's, like he's pouring when he's 
drunk. He doesn't hide it. Like you just said, he comes in and his secretary immediately is like, oh my God, look at you. And then he, he puts on the suit. He goes to help out a, uh, a train that derailed. And he like, you know, goes in all. Uh... Well, so that's that's at the very end. So that's issue 128 when like absolutely everything has gone off the rails. Mm-hmm. And and yes, yeah, so by by issue 128, we get what I was expecting more of, which is what you're describing, which is him like drunk as Iron Man. And the reason he's able to go out as Iron Man at that point is he has cleared his name. He find he finally tracks down Justin Hammer, and yep. he finds uh, Justin Hammer living. Uh, so he's this wealthy, uh, like technology, you know, mastermind, sort of Grand a, Moth a very Tarkin. yeah, Grandma Tarkin look alike. He's got he's basically he's a Tony Stark rival uh, of industry, um, but he keeps his name totally secret. He also mm-hmm. lives in a mansion on a boat. <laughs> I mean, Which it's not a excite. mansion. It's like a, it's the entire estate of a mansion, right? It's yeah, like yeah. Twenty acres, like a forest and a garden, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only is he living there, but he's living there with like every Iron Man villain ever. <laughs> it's a very fun showcase there. of just yeah. like every C-list Iron Man villain that you know ev- that time has forgotten, like the Porcupine and Discus oh, I love Porcupine. And, oh, he looks ridiculous, and uh, so and good. the Melter in Whiplash, which again, it's like. Crazy that Iron Man Two was like Whiplash. Yeah, that guy. Let's do. Uh, let's do the guy's got some whips. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, all those good. All Speaking those good. Speaking of Iron Man, Man Two, just like absolutely such a letdown that they were like, yeah, let's do Demon in a Bottle, but um, he won't be drunk. Let's make it blood poisoning. Because they do the one the actual... scene where he's really drunk in the armor, and I think he fires off a repulsor like accidentally. Yeah, and that's party, about yeah. as close as they come to actually touching and that, and that what Demon in a Bottle actually like, does so well here. Yeah, yeah, because that stuff doesn't actually show... That just shows him he's cocky, like... Yeah, he's right. Being, he's being a little reckless about it, but he's not, like, unhinged, and he's not completely out of control, you know? No, no. Like, that, that, that movie stinks because it just does not have the courage of its convictions, like this comic does, to let our hero really hit rock bottom. And yeah. I think, you know what? Like, I think he goes from mildly having a problem to rock bottom in the course of about a issue so like the oh see no i think the build-up's more effective than that it it clearly escalates in issue 128 that's the issue that's going yeah, to deal that's with the ex- it the issue but the problem's been building like... for for 10 issues no I, I i get that i think like it has been building right from the beginning but it's been 10 issues of people being like oh really do you want another drink okay it's it's pretty early uh and him being like, "Yeah, I'm fine, whatever." And then 128, it's like he's out of completely out of control. But to be fair, I mean, I, I don't think it's bad. I don't know why I'm what I'm even arguing. I I, <laughs> I think it's generally fine. I think mm-hmm. maybe the arc could have been a little more gradual. Um, but he does go through recovery and basically make his entire recovery in the same issue. Yeah, yeah, it all happens in 128. His his. Former girlfriend, I guess, at this point, and uh, and also bodyguard Bethany Cave. She like basically has um, I don't know what you call it, like days of an intervention, I guess. Like yeah, of, yeah. Of well, keeping she, I mean, she goes drinking. and talks to him about um the fact that she used to be married to someone who was addicted to sleeping pills. Yeah, and he basically he slowly killed himself with sleeping pills. And, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a great moment here where she's talking about it to him, and he's kind of blowing her off, and she turns from him like. Never mind. You're never going to listen to anything I say. And then she turns back, and he's like teary-eyed, like asking for her help. And it's yeah. a very, it's a very good, effective moment here. Yeah, and he he finally recognizes that he does need help. Um, there's a really big moment where so Jarvis had quit because Tony uh, yelled at him in a drunk rage, essentially. Um, and and 
he comes back to Jarvis and asks him, you know, if he would please return. Uh, there's also some like stuff going on here where Jarvis owned the last couple stocks that Shield could, you know, snatch up to take uh, <laughs> the final majority ownership. Necessary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of um of Stark Industries, so he's battling that, and basically after he realizes Jarvis's stocks have been snatched up and he's going to lose majority share of Stark Industries, he's looking at that bottle of Jack, you know, real intently. And both Bethany and Jarvis are basically watching him do this, and they're like, "We're not going to help you. We're not going to close it for you." And it's it's the the willpower and the strength that it takes to put the lid back on the bottle of alcohol there for Tony Stark is is built up, I think, effectively, and it's also like. It, it, I think it signifies like this is the battle this character will be fighting from now on. And that has yep. remained very true, which yep. I think is is like this is a big part of Tony Stark's character, which is like kind of like you were saying, kind of interesting that like that part of him is not a part of MCU Tony at all. Yeah, it feels actually. like, you know, oh, well, we can't have these are kids movies. We can't have a drunk in the middle of them. You know, I guess I guess it's inherent because so like the Tony of the ultimate universe is is really more of the Tony that um without spoiling anything that the MCU takes on, which is kind of like this but idea the of alcohol. the fun. Got, well, that's the, the thing alcohol, is like, yeah. oh, but let's still have fun. Let's still have him have his drinks and make jokes and be fun. Yeah. Whereas when you're like, no, he's an alcoholic. It like sucks the air out of the, out of Tony. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah. can't be fun anymore. Cause now it's like, no, this is a serious problem <laughs> that he's, yeah. that he's dealing with. And obviously yeah. they chose, they chose not to engage with that. I think what I was getting at is that I think 118 through 127, are all pretty good, nice gradual buildup. But then 128 has the clear like descent into hitting rock bottom, recovery, and then the moment where he gets tested on his like recovery and, you know, has the willpower to continue his recovery. I think that's what um, I was describing something I like, though. That they all they, they really dedicate this one issue to the I think it's a very Hey, good this issue. is the little... this is the social this is the social conscious issue. We're going to address this very specifically here. Mm-hmm. He's not battling a supervillain in this issue, right? Whereas all the rest of them are still like pretty good Iron Man comics with the thread of the build to 128. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, I, I still think it's very good. It's an excellent like single issue. Uh, I think I'm I'm being a little nitpicky, but yeah. No, no I, I hear great. what you're saying. Is, I just I actually like it. Yeah. I I mean, and like this is it, this has gone from Iron Man being like a very underwhelming hero for 17 years to like mm-hmm. oh okay finally someone like figured out t- talk about tony stark right like and and his suit actually is a lot of fun here it feels like michelini knows how to write his suit so that it feels like fun and grounded and physical in a way that it sometimes doesn't like yeah i mean before I, oh, they he... have this amazing scene of him flying at, he's i think he's leaving hammers island victorious yeah. and he Talks about having his new little FM antenna. Is that in this one? And he uh, he tunes into the radio and he actually like starts having fun. Like he start starts listening to some music yeah. while he's flying out over the ocean. Like starting to like pump himself back up and feel good. Which is like that is very much the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, right? right? Like piping music into his helmet. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice touch. And there's like there are cool moment. There are cool Iron Man moments before he even addresses his alcoholism. Like when he's on Hammer's Island and he finally gets his Iron Man suit. And there's this yeah. great splash page of like, now I'm coming for you. Like I'm coming for all these two bit villains you sent after me, and then Hammer, I'm coming for you next. And it's like it's a cool action moment, you know. Yeah. And then there's yeah, yeah. the giant action scene again of him fighting like the entirety of his rogues gallery throughout history, including the incredible porcupine who he shoves grenades in his belly. <laughs> Don't worry, Just... porcupine's fine. Uh, so demon oh, in the bottle. Whew. 
guess what? Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, it's like I said, I know it's a classic. I know it's something people reference. I've read it before, and I was reading these like, oh yeah, this is really good. <laughs> like, there's it's yeah. not just that it brings up a big issue. It's not just that it like has this thing that changes the character. It's that it's a really good story while it does so. Agreed. Yeah. So he's going to be on. Oh man, Micheline's going to be on Iron Man for a while, up to one fifty-seven, and then he's going to take a huge break. And then come back 216 to 250. So uh, he'll be here till 82, and then he'll do 87 to 89. So <laughs> I'm excited to uh, to read more. Yeah, I think he's a good writer, like, besides him just being good at Iron Man. Like I said, that pacing is excellent, which we are going to contrast. I'm going to talk about when we get to Fantastic Four, because I think that is the exact thing that Fantastic Four is struggling with. Do you want to just yeah. jump to that one? Um, then we can talk, wrap up with Avengers. Uh, Sure. Yeah, that works. Okay. So these are four issues of John Byrne. Is it's his first time penciling um, Fantastic Four, and who's writing these ones? Do you have that? We got Marv Wolfman still writing. Oh, I just didn't want to set myself up for that. Uh, These are interesting stories that have horrendous pacing because it is exactly what I said. Iron Man is not. It is action and Mm -hmm. yelling Mm -hmm. (laughs) and heightened drama the entire time throughout the entire thing. It never stops rolling, and that is. So hard to do. I'm not saying that's impossible, and I'm not saying a po- comic can't just be yeah. action-packed. I mean, you can't have four comics in a row do that. You know, it needs to. You, you need to have some space to breathe, and this just does not let that happen. It's either exposition or it's just breathless action, um, and that just means that like it all kind of becomes a big blur. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think within the blur, there are good ideas, right? Yeah, like there yeah, are. Sure. There are good threads here. So the the crux of this story is the Fantastic Four are looking for Galactus. The first issue, 210, is called In Search of Galactus. And they are trying to bring Galactus to Earth to fight the Sphinx, <laughs> which is uh-huh. this, like... <laughs> the Sphinx is a nobody, but in these issues, it's an all-powerful threat that only Galactus can show up and fistfight into submission. Okay, mm-hmm. so the Fantastic Four are like, we got to get Galactus to do this. Galactus is like, why would I help Meanwhile, you? You're a bunch you of might, flies. Y- you might be confused because you're like, wow, they're really drawing Reed Richards to look like a little wrinkly here. Because I didn't they, know what was going on. There is on, some but I was serious like, oh. aging going on. Yes, I did. Because at first, it's not that obvious. It just looks like Reed Richards is being drawn to be like 45. I think he's got Which I wouldn't hate. I, w- I wouldn't exactly. hate exactly. I thought it was happening. just a style choice. But no, eventually you find out that like they got hit with scrawl aging beams or something. So like yeah. Sue, the thing, and Reed are all aging. You ever find like a few gray hairs, you know, on the temple, and you're like, ah, oh, oh, damn, for a scrawl aging ray again. Yeah, damn scrawls. Dang it, those scrawls, man. Yeah, so they got them with aging rays. So the Fast Four have like seventy two hours to live or something because it's it's this rapid aging thing. So that's Which a that's a thread that is purposes. actually well, it doesn't matter, but it's also like. It is an interesting, like, put them on the clock kind of thing. Like, they're trying to get Galactus to do this stuff. They um, have to. So, Galactus's deal no, is I, no, if you I, help I me get a herald. Disagree. Sorry. It, it just feels like. Uh, yeah, it way doesn't feel many. interesting to you? No, it's no, it's not that that's not interesting. It's too much. It's this thing where they, they can't just, just focus on Galactus versus Sphinx. That is interesting enough. You don't need all this other stuff. You know, it kind of. We've had a bunch of issues that are. Uh, like, see, I, I don't. I actually don't mind that because we've had so many Galactus stories so far. In Fantastic Four, that's true, you know, it's like, like you gotta spice it up about, a bit. 
they're talking about Galactus kind of in this interesting meta way, right? Where, like, he's not the villain this time. He's their savior. Yeah. And they have to go find his herald. Like, all those are interesting plot threads. That's cool. Yeah. I think it's really tough for a lot. There's very few people who I think can do this. Claremont does it really well, where he can juggle, like, five or six threads all at once. This mm-hmm. just feels distracted because it's just like, I I don't know. N- none of this was particularly urgent to me because it was all urgent. You know, you know what I think would almost fix it for me is if Galactus coming to Earth is in order to fight like Thanos or in order to fight some cosmic powered Doctor Doom, somebody I cared about that as too. opposed yeah. to the Sphinx, who I do not care about. All those sequences immediately become like skippable to me. So the the like what we're building to is the least interesting part of the story for me. I mean, the, the, the parts the that I like a lot versus... more are finding Galactus's new herald. I thought that was yeah. a cool thread. Yeah, that's interesting. And the fact that, so Reed goes to Galactus and says, come to Earth, defeat the Sphinx, mm-hmm. and I will withdraw my, like, rescind the vow that I made you make that you will leave Earth alone. The gentleman's bargain that Reed yeah. and Galactus commit to is I astonishing. Do, I do really like the scene. They're trying to get, they go onto his ship and they literally can't get his attention like this is Reed, great yeah johnny storm is blasting him with fireballs the thing is just throwing machinery at the back of his head and he's just completely like they're you know so beneath his his interest to even like yeah but not only them. not only do they not get his attention they then almost get killed themselves just by the equipment like running them over <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> no, right. of course efforts to get his attention almost Which, again, to their own demise. That is one of the problems. That that like is a perfect example of like it doesn't slow down, it doesn't just like it's just like all right, here's the goal. We need to get Galactus' attention. Oh no, Sue's going to be run over by a steamroller. Okay, let's move on and like we're as we're running down the hall to find a new thing, we're yelling about like we must get Galactus' attention. It just Doesn't that feel very much like the ethos of Stanley Jack Kirby Fantastic 4 though? Like yeah, that feels very much to me yeah. like the way they delivered issues with the except with the you know main difference being like yeah, they deliver a story that way and then it'd be done that issue generally speaking yeah or you know well and, and at, at the very least they would always start out with something calm you know they always that's true. start with that scene of like johnny tuning up his car and then the thing destroying it <laughs> or whatever you know yeah yeah that that's a fair point yeah anyway so I, I do like they get his attention by freeing all of his pets <laughs> galactus has a yeah. zoo full of pets why does he have a zoo who kn- why does galactus like, keep a zoo well at first you kind of think like oh maybe these are the planets he's devoured and he's like still you know he's doing that thing like brainiac or the collector he's holding on to the last yeah yeah you know he's having an arc of what the the people from no no it's just a bunch of animals he likes i mean if he just straight up wants to have pets more power to you galactus but yes this feels like a brainiac or collector thing not a galactus thing yeah galactus is a just a big fur dad you know is that what pet owners are called i mean it's not what you should call yourself but it is if you I'm learning so much today. I've learned about thigh crushers. I've learned about fur dads. This is a big... Don't Google either (laughs) of those things, for the record. Um, Thigh crushing fur daddies. (laughs) So the the deal they make, Lactus says, all right, fine, I'll do it, but you got to get me a herald first. So the Fantastic Four go to a planet, and here they meet Terex the Tamer. Terex the Terrible, the new herald of Galactus. Uh, Long story short, they get this emperor guy to submit and come and be Galactus' herald. Galactus scares him and says, hey, if you ever betray me with this power cosmic like Silver Surfer, I'll turn you into a fly. Terax says, cool. Thanks for the new power. Thanks for the dope new axe. I'm excited to be here as your new herald. And I like Terax as Galactus's herald. I like his de- uh, his design. Yeah, he's fun. I like that he's like, Galactus says something like, um, 
you are you should be honored to be here at the beginning of my new you know the the coronation for my new herald i've only Mm -hmm. had four heralds in all of my existence and it's like in the past 15 years like all four of them have been (laughs) almost directly because of the fantastic four he even mentions like my second herald you destroyed yeah i had to get a third one the first herald you turned against me like (laughs) this idea that galactus has been around for millennium but like this event has only just been happening recently because of these four dum-dums yeah for sure uh is there anything you want to say about the ending, honestly? Like, I mean, it's a big fist fight. Earth, it's a big old fight. fight. I mean, that's the worst part about it. Is he? It's all this buildup. He comes to Earth, and then it turns into, like, a literal, like, buffoon, fuck, pow fight, where it's just, like, yeah. these two giants punch each other until Galactus punches the other one more, and he wins. And it's, ugh, it's, it's really dull. It's the most boring way to, like, utilize Galactus as just a good puncher. Like... Yeah, right. Yeah, is this Sphinx? Does the Sphinx matter here? Does he come back? Like, I I don't give a hoot about the Sphinx whether he comes back or not. I will say the thing that I like is so Galactus wins the battle. Earth is saved from the Sphinx, but then clearly Galactus is like, all right, dinner time. And then Reed, old yeah. as yeah, yeah. dust, comes out of the ship and is like, hey, I built a new ultimate nullifier, Galactus. I'm gonna do this trick again and say to you, hey, I'll blow up literally everything, everything. If you uh, don't eat Earth, and Galactus is like, well, no, that's a bad deal for me. I'm out of here. Turns out, though, Reed was bluffing. He didn't even yep. build one. He just, mm-hmm. like, and, and Galactus gets his pants bluffed off. Yeah, that's fun, because at first it's like, wait, you're going to get out of this literally the same exact way you did the first time? Like, yeah, it's so lame. But then the little twist that he wasn't actually doing it, that it was a bluff, is it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I do like that. And it kind of shows there's this thing where it's just like... Reed keeps making these hugely big wild gambits. Yeah. And that is, that's kind of Reed's like MO and the other fantastic four like Reed, my God, what are you doing? And he's like, Sue, you must trust me. uh, Yeah. And then it turns out like, Oh yeah, he knew what he was doing all along. And like, of course he's right. We're starting to get into this era where like Reed does that. And like, kind of doesn't know what he's doing and he's taking some pretty big chances and it's not this kind of like i was in perfect control the whole time which yeah. i like because we're getting into like the hubris of reed richards which is more interesting than the infallibility of reed richards right right because this i i don't actually like this all that much it was it was fine like i didn't hate this um but this directly leads into some of the more interesting fantastic four stuff in a couple of years that i do really like john burns yep. starts writing this series right he, he will just pen, eventually right? yeah, okay. just, he's just yeah. on pencils at this point but once he starts yeah. writing i do think fantastic four is going to uh pick it back up again in a way that yeah. we will feel good about yeah speaking of feeling good about what did you think of avengers number 181 and 185 to 187 did you like these mm-hmm. I'm showing you with my face. You loved them. Wow. I really liked 181. Um, okay. This is like, this is kind of my, my weakness when it comes to Avengers is rosters issues. Like You like, th- you like the, the lineup getting put together issues. I do. These are really fun yeah. to me. Like auditions and the like, you know, like the backstage, the backdoor dealings of like people being like, well, just let me on the team. I'll, you know, I'll make sure that I do this for you. And like, oh, well, yeah. we can't have them on the team because secretly 
we're watching out for the you know there's all this all the the, the politics and all the like clashing dynamics of who wants to stay and who wants to go uh, i like this stuff even though i don't think this is actually the the like greatest example of that later yeah 181's have... a little different because it's henry peter gyrick the nsa government liaison to the avengers basically holding all their uh priority access like hostage uh-huh. over their heads saying we can dictate what the Avengers will be and how you will function. And most specifically, we are going to tell you, you can only have seven members. There are too darn many of you. And there's a nice shot of like all the Avengers that have ever been practically. And also the Guardians of the Galaxy, the OG Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. in a room. And Gyrick's like, this is ridiculous. There are too many. And I don't know that he's wrong. Um, and he's like, there can be seven of you. Here are the seven. And uh, Iron Man protests a little. He's chairman of the Avengers at this point in time. He also might be drunk because this happens kind of as Demon of the Bottle is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and basically Captain America is like, nah, let's go. Let's go with him because uh, we need that access. Captain America is very pro Avengers clearance. And I got to say, I'm not totally clear why, but he's definitely the voice of like, we need to listen to the government here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's something cool. interesting about the government <laughs> sticking there. I, I just didn't have a... Thought of that's that, about that specific i i think there's something interesting about the government the 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 tension of the avengers not being a independent organization anymore yeah that they are like the government has their fingers in it and not just because like they have say over how the avengers functions but later you know we're gonna maybe start seeing like they're gonna start sticking their nose into like what the avengers do and how they function as a team etc well, and I think it's I think that's really interesting because the team that is clearly rivaling and quickly superseding them is the X-Men. And the X-Men are constantly like fighting against government, not not necessarily directly, but like the government, we will see stories build up time and time again of policies and regulations that are like anti-mutant, right? And yep. like that is a political stance that one can take in the world in the Marvel universe whereas the Avengers more and more and here now very deliberately are becoming like an arm of government and even though i think each one of these characters individually we would say like has a free will and has you know is not a mouthpiece and we've talked a bunch about like captain america not being just sort of a like a weapon of the government like he's a free thinking individual who is you know he's a patriot yes but he's not just like i will do whatever you say no questions asked um but the avengers are more and more falling into that like they're on a leash i guess is the thing Mm -hmm. um and it's it is kind of interesting to those those very different dynamics so now seven avengers are picked for this lineup and the most striking one that is clearly made uh, a point of is the seventh pick is falcon and hawkeye takes great umbrage with this because he's been an avenger for about a decade now and wants to stay on the team like is desperate to stay on the team he's particularly offended that falcon gets added because falcon has never been an avenger actually to this point he's been fighting with cap for a good long while and has been a superhero and as as uh henry peter gyrick explains he says we needed a minority um, so it's like they're just filling a demographic quotient is basically Gyrick's explanation, despite the fact that we know Falcon to be a worthwhile candidate, as Captain America points out. Also, like, kind of just glosses over the fact that Black Panther's sitting right there. He said, no, he <laughs> says, um, he says Black Panther's unavailable. He's yeah, like, since Black Panther was unavailable, we, it had to be Falcon. Right. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Basically yeah, yeah. is what he says. And, and yeah. Hawkeye, Hawkeye's mad just because he's not included. I mean, really, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
I'd be yeah, I'd almost Captain be more America. mad about Beast being included if I'm if I'm Hawkeye at this point. I'd be like, come on, he's starring in Uncanny as well. This is ridiculous. He's already got a book. Uh, but no dice. We got uh, what is it? Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Hank, Falcon, oh, Captain America, and Iron Man and Vision. I think are the seven. Yeah, this was that off the top of my head. So like, we're gonna get one me. of these issues later on somewhere in the like earlyish eighties, like in the next four or five years. Yeah, that I think does a much better job because it's not like at the beginning they're just told and then they're all dealing with it. The thing I, I mean, one thing I did like about this is it did clean up, like got rid of the guardians, which I'm like fine with that don't need to see them anymore yeah they leave that's like, fine a lot of them kind of went their own way moon dragon left uh jacosta's walking around kind of aimlessly not knowing what to do with herself now you guys didn't uh, see that but when zach said moon dragon left there were tears in his eyes and i just i don't i don't want to call you out but more just say like you know you're a man with emotions i'm just holding my breath for tigra to join the avengers Ooh, baby tigra. speaking of for tigra did you see a bunch of tigra issues just got added to marvel limited today uh, no, I did not. Also an issue from 1981 called Fantastic Four Roast Number 1. Oh, give me that roast, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I like these. 185 to 187, not quite as much. Although they are kind of big story things. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch find out they got a new dad. And new dad. And he says, like, I'm your father. Uh, I'm going to, and I'm sorry it's the word they keep using um they keep using the word gypsy they're uh, like gypsy descendant because the thing is like i don't think i don't think marvel means romani i think they just mean like wagon people you know that's the like frustrating part is like they're not even they just yeah. kind of use it yeah. for the aesthetic of well that, they're not you know? they're not alone in doing that in pop culture certainly i i think we'll we'll refrain from using it again because i I now know it from hearing about it talked about in, in these types of conversations to be a slur. So yeah, sure. that's not something we want to include. But yeah. yes, that is the word uh, that so they use here. They go to Wondagore and they discover that they were raised in this facility up on the mountain by the... They were born in the facility up on the mountain uh, under the care of the high evolutionary. Yeah. And at the end of this issue, we find out their nursemaid... Or their like childhood, I don't know, nurse, I don't know if she was a nursemaid, mm-hmm. was sweet Bessie Cal. Sweet Mama Bova, a little bovine <sighs> intervention, bring him in into this world. One of the high it's, evolutionary's own, she is a cow mom. It is one of the <laughs> best has, like single page turn reveals that we've gotten in this yeah, point. Like, it's pretty up amazing. To that, up to that final page reveal of like, who are we facing? The all daddy. Like, it, yeah. it's right up there with that for me. I remember just losing my mind. When we first saw this one, it's so funny. It's pretty darn out the blue. Um, But yeah, Quicksilver and Wanda, they learn of this heritage that is muddled and confused by the High Evolutionary's involvement. Uh, They also meet this man who likes to make puppets of them and control their their very heart rates, who claims to be their dad. Mm -hmm. Wanda and Quicksilver's parentage is is muddy and confusing, and it changes with the wind. Uh, We are getting close to the most famous probably uh, a parentage that they have so like this it's is going to change not done yet again it it changes every oh decade sometimes even more I thought rapidly. this was it I thought this was like the finale of all that 
Nah, if you really want to get into all of it, I don't want to spoil stuff. Go on over to Comic no, Book no. Herald on YouTube and check out "Is Scarlet Witch a Mutant?" because I broke it all down there. No, but um, but yeah, so it's messy and muddled. But that's actually like not even totally the story. The story more or less becomes this wizard Mordru. Uh, he goes into Scarlet Witch's room at night here in Transia near the Wondergore Mountain, and he says, "Hey, let me take you outside, naked lady." Scarlet Witch goes with him. And uh, she, in the course of this, is attacked and gets possessed by the demon Chathon. C-T-H-O-N. Chathon. Does that matter? Chathon. <laughs> yeah, it I'm matters. Not it matters to me. Uh, so there's like a couple that. things here that matter. One, Scarlet Witch is possessed by a demon, fights Quicksilver, fights the Avengers. Uh, this is a demon that will possess her again. This demon, uh, this is kind of a, a recurring thing for Wanda in a number of ways. And also we have to point out here, this is kind of the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, of of a trend of making the powerful women in Marvel mm-hmm. overrun by sort of uh, demonic powerful forces, hmm, if you will, right? Okay. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to... I, I won't spoil details, but we got a story coming up in the 1980 year called the Dark Phoenix Saga, which is probably the most famous example of that. Sure. This, And it's also a thing that happens to Wanda a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. So I won't yeah, go into I the details here, but this is like the first time that I remember. not that interesting or there wasn't that much tension to all this although it had some pretty good art and some pretty cool imagery the has one of the best covers we've seen of wanda staying they're all evil looking with all the avengers mm-hmm. stiff as boards floating upside down around her which is like some very, very cool, cover. cool avengers know, 187 like, i believe yeah some like real witchy looking imagery of her. now if i'm not mistaken that might body. be a george perez cover which would kind of make sense yeah um let me double check that real quick but yeah Witch, these are yeah. so there's like a there's like a team up writing here of i think steven grant michelini maybe mark grunewald's involved like there's a bunch of writing credits on this um you yeah. do have john byrne pencils dan green inks and are these oh so the cover no the cover to 187 that you're describing is a john byrne cover with i think yeah. terry austin inks but yeah it's very cool it's this possessed uh scarlet witch which is thon and she all the avengers are floating upside down um yeah the story's not that exciting i mean basically it's just the big oh she's gone evil thing uh she's got all this power yeah. the avengers have to fight her quicksilver's like i'm sorry wanda you're my sister Do-do-do-do-do. and then you know they she gets better right like and yeah i yeah, i, I yeah, do yeah. think chathon is uh, she makes wanda creepy or he i guess the demon makes wanda very creepy i don't think it actually makes wanda like scary i don't think it actually makes like ooh, i want to see more chathon that was a really interesting <laughs> character you know i mean it's a good design her face looks creepy i think that's about the art makes her look creepy it. Yeah, yeah, I think Burn sells it a bit. Um, but otherwise, like, there's a lot of parentage stuff, and there's this this big old trend beginning here in the pages of Avengers. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for Avengers to find its footing in the 80s, which it will for a little bit, and then who knows how long it will keep, because Avengers is a hard comic to write properly, apparently. <laughs> it sure is. So that'll do it for 1979 Part 2. We are going hey. on to 1980s done, next. Done with the 70s. Pretty done exciting. with the 70s. Decades. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of good, a lot of middle of the road, and uh, and some bad, you know? I think we're both yeah. excited to be getting to the next decade for sure. There's so a lot of talk in the readers, Slack about this come is on like in. where people are like, oh no, I'm starting to I'm starting to like enjoy the comics, you know, not in a historical sense. Not like, like oh, and- I have to read all this because I'm obsessed with Marvel Comics <laughs> and mm-hmm. I feel compelled to read through every year. Like I'm reading I'm them the like, same oh, reason I read modern comics, which is that I just enjoy it. Yeah. 
Yep, totally. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, again, I'm Dave here with Zach. You can find all the reading lists over on patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Uh, you can also find them if you sign up for the Comic Book Herald newsletter. Music in for the, the show, show is by Disasterpiece. Oh, and in the show notes, thank you very much. Disasterpiece is also in the show notes. Include a link to mm-hmm. him there. Um, what else do we want to say? 1980 reading list will be in the show notes and over on the Patreon as well if you want to figure out what to read. We should mention here that patrons, supporters do get access to the master spreadsheet so you can just pull up all the reading lists at as you like uh what else do we want to plug anything else uh my ultimate year fun show go check it out jump in it's uh it's easy to tack on to what we're doing because it's we're doing it it's a monthly show and only reading about 20 extra comics a month and they're modern so they go down pretty easy so check that they out. go down super easy yep absolutely uh yeah thanks everybody for listening as always uh yeah, this has you. been a my marvelous year production and we will see you next year see you next year uh-huh.